Welcome to the Social Flight Live podcast, an audio version of our live show, hosted every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have such a fun and wonderful show for you this evening. Actor Robert Hayes from Airplane the Movie is here. So can't wait to get him on here. He is a wonderful, wonderful individual with some amazing stories. Before we get started, a couple quick things. First of all, we are nearing the end of our Fly to Win Challenge on Social Flight. And so be sure to get out the free app for Social Flight on your Apple or Android devices. And check out socialflight.com with tens of thousands of aviation events, destinations, and of course, great events that are online as well, like you have this evening with Social Flight Live. All you need to do with that app is check in at your local airport or at any airport during your flying. Even one time will get you in, checked in and entered. And this current prize period, we are giving away a Lightspeed Zulu 3 headset. Be giving that away on the first of the year, so you still have time to get out there and compete to win that headset. In addition to that, Social Flight Live is now available on a podcast on your favorite service from Apple, Android devices, wherever you get your podcast, just do a search, one word, Social Flight. In addition to that, our learning series uh, is available through the FAA in partnership with them for WINGS credit, for AMT credit, and if you are a mechanic with an inspection authorization, your IA renewals can be done through Social Flight. All of that is available. Just go there. You will see the icons for FAA credits, and it's an entire system. We are here to support general aviation. That's the mission. That's why we're here. So just be sure to get out there and check that out. Tonight's broadcast is sponsored by Continental Aerospace Technologies. They're a strong supporter of Social Flight, and I'd just like to thank them for everything that they do. I fly behind a Continental engine in our Bonanza, and in addition to that, we've always maintained it with Continental Parts. And I will say that if you need any, any support, uh, they have some of the best support in the industry. Continental is truly the thought leaders in aircraft maintenance when it comes to engines. Be sure to call them with any questions you have, even if you haven't bought anything from them in a while. So a special thanks again to Continental. Now, tonight's guest, Robert Hayes, is best known for his role as pilot Ted Stryker in the classic movie Airplane. Since starring in the TV series Angie in the 1970s, he's been a household name and instantly recognizable face from television and movie roles in a decades-long career. Most recently, he hosted the A&E series Fasten Your Seatbelt. Kind of fun way to check things out as he tours uh, uh, all sorts of aircraft stories and things that are going on inside of uh, airports in, let's just call it, challenging times. What you may not know is that he's also a pilot in real life with a family history in aviation and the stories that are in both aviation and Hollywood alike that are just wonderful to listen to. And I cannot wait to have those shared with you. I am thrilled to call him a friend and so glad that he could join us tonight here on Social Flight Live from his home in beautiful Oahu, Hawaii. Please help me welcome to Social Flight Live, I'll bring him on the line right now, Robert Hayes. This 
not often that I hear from his beautiful home in Oahu. That sounds kind of neat. <laughs> it does. Hey, thanks Hi, for Jeff. joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. This is fun. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, I, I have to say, every time that we speak, I just my, I, I just sit there and go into a trance of listening to story after story. Just you have led one of the most fascinating and interesting lives I have ever 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 conceived of. Really. Yes, absolutely. Let's see. <laughs> Take us back to the beginning. Tell me, first of all, how you got involved in acting and in Hollywood. Where did the, where's the genesis of this, that, that all this came from? And then we'll talk flying. Well, dad was a Marine. He was a career Marine fighter pilot. Um, he was in World War II, Korea and Vietnam. Uh, we, traveled. I've been across country 15 times by car growing up. I lived in Turkey for three years. It was supposed to be two, but we really loved it. And so we got to extend it for a year. The Marines rarely get to take their families with them overseas. So that was great that we were able to go. You know, it's not like the Army or the Air Force, <laughs> the softer agencies. Um, I can see but, the comments rolling in now. Yeah, I can see all the army guys with the hair going up. Arr, hate that guy. Never did like him. I understand why now. But um, uh, so we were, uh, I was born in Naval Hospital, Bethesda, Maryland, uh, which I think is so old, it's probably condemned by now. And uh, uh, we wound up in uh, my senior year Going from Newport Beach, um, surfing and, you know, living on the beach and having a great time to the middle of the United States, you, the furthest you could get anywhere from the beach. And uh, so that was kind of harsh. But then we, we uh, wound up uh, getting horses and that became a whole new lifestyle. And while I was there, uh, a guy, uh, I was working at the stables uh, as a stable boy and taking care of the horses. And a guy had a horse and he also had a, he had, a, no, he didn't have a horse. He had a dog. He had a uh, Weimaraner that he kept there because he didn't have any place to keep it. So he rented a little area for the dog. And he, we became friends and uh, he was a uh, young Air Force officer or something. Took me up in his J3, his Piper J3. And that was my first small private plane flight ever and uh so there moved from there uh how'd your dad feel about that yeah he he was he was uh, a little upset that in the winter time this guy's taking me up in a plane and he doesn't know the guy well enough to know who is he is he a good pilot uh, you know how, what's the aircraft like and you know he's, he likes to check stuff out so, um, and like I mentioned, he might have been a little ticked that he wasn't the one that took me up first. Maybe, I don't know. But anyway, it was, it was so fun. And like I had mentioned to you once before, to me, uh, later on when you're watching Jimmy Stewart in the Spirit of St. Louis, I have these memories of going up in that little J3 and feeling like that's what it was like. So barren and just, you know, a little yoke stick and I, I don't even know if I had any I think there was one or two I think there might have been a, a oil temperature gauge in the back there and it had some throttles but that was mostly up you know what he had up there and uh, 
it was just neat. It was so neat. But anyway, I, I, then we, uh, uh, I started Omaha University, and, and then we moved again, and this time back home. But instead of Newport Beach, someone was renting the house, and we had horses. So we, uh, and my sister was going to school in San Diego, so we went to San Diego. And I went to the junior college just to get in because it was so late. I was a transfer student and right up just about time for the school to start. And the only thing open for me was uh, beginning acting. So I took that just to get in the school. Wow. And I, it was so much fun. I just loved it. So I just kept doing it. Did you, I mean, literally, was it just that, that that's all that was available? You hadn't thought about acting before that? Yeah, no. Um, there was uh there was a, there was a beginning track and field PE class. And I thought I have enough credits. I found out I had enough credits. I didn't need to take that. And I thought, why do I want to go just run all the time? I don't, I'm, I'm too lazy for that. I don't want to do that. And I didn't have to. So I thought, okay, I don't that. Never mind. I'm I'd rather act like then, I'm running. Yeah. 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 I want to go act. I want to learn how to make people think I'm running, but I'm not. But, uh, Make people think I won that. 1960, gold medal. It was 60 or 64 Olympics in Tokyo. Bob Hayes, 100 yard dash. You've just <laughs> you had more of a tan than I have, but it was, it was, uh, so I used to carry that clipping around in my wallet. And I'd say, yeah, oh, I was doing some stuff before I came over here to get in college. I was, you know, yeah, I got it here as a clipping. And they'd look at it and go, you, you got a gold medal? Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, Bob Hayes, it says it right there. It's misspelled as a E in it, but, you know. <laughs> so, so how, tell me about the process. When did you, what was the, the first time you kind of got commercial, uh, uh, I guess, the opportunity to first get it, break into the industry as it were? I guess I had so much fun and I just took to it like a duck to water kind of a thing. And it was a beginning acting class with Clark Myers, who I'm still friends with. It was his first class out of college to teach. And um, we ran short one day and he had all this time left over. And he said, well, okay, what do you guys want to do? And they said, can we have Bob teach us dialects, accents? And I looked like, what are you talking about? And they said, yeah, I mean, he's, what, you've been doing this like for seven years or something, right? And I thought, seven years, where do you, where do you get that number? What, what are you talking about? They thought that I'd been acting, you know, in, since, I don't know, through high school, elementary, high school, everything, and I'd never been in it before. I just loved it so much. I was having so much fun. And I, I used to love playing with British accents and, you know, Irish and different accents and the different parts of the country where they're from and how they change a little and all that. So I guess they thought that I was... <laughs> So, so anyway, we just played with that for a while, but that was, that was just, um, that was just, uh, heaven to get into it in a small, when you don't know what you're doing, get into it in a small college like that, uh, -huh. uh work your way up to where you're kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of like, um, getting a little bit of a reputation within the college that, uh, -huh. if we want this part played well we got to get him to do that role you know or, this is a comedy and he's really nuts so let's see if we can get him to do this because i you know I, I i guess i had a strange sense of humor even then um but uh uh 
then I, I, I went to the Old Globe Theater and auditioned, and I got a job there. And the Old Globe Theater is nationally known. It's a really, really nice theater. They've won some, you know, off regional theater type uh, Emmys, uh, Tonys. And uh, they're very, really highly respected. They got a Shakespeare festival every summer. And uh, so that became my theater home. It's a one-fifth scale. I think it's about one-fifth scale of the actual 2,000-seat real globe theaters, over 2,000 seats in the actual theater. And um, that's been recreated back in, in London now. But um, this is about 420 seats is what it was. And when they rebuilt it after a fire, somebody, Park Ranger, I believe it was, a woman that was a little angry, and uh, she started a fire in there. And so it burned a chunk of it. They had to remodel it. So it's a little bit bigger, maybe 450 or 500, something like that. But it's so intimate. It is so wonderful to play at that size theater with an audience that you feel like you can talk to everybody. You know, I, I, I've seen shows in 3,000 seat theaters and it was like, where's my, where's my Mount Palomar telescope? You know, I got to see who's talking. Is it a woman's voice or a man's voice? Can you tell, you know, it's so huge. And that's like a factory. That's just, I don't know. I, I, I've is seen that- shows. I've never done it, so I don't. I, I can't imagine doing that. Is that where you first started to get kind of discovered for you know commercial success? So like, what brought you into television and 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 got you to the point that you got Angie and then Airplane? I had friends. I never wanted to go. I just thought no theater, theater, theater's the real thing. You know, I didn't want to go do that commercialized tv junk or and films you know movies i don't know some movies i suppose that could be good but the theater is really the purest form of it all and uh so that's a very silly kind of an attitude to have but that's one phase you go through and i had friends that said uh i'm going up to la i'm going to give it two years if i haven't made it i'm going to get a real job (laughs) what kind of attitude is that I, i i figured you know we're actors till we're no longer actors you know how do you know that you're going to be no longer an actor in two years? You're just going to give it up. It just didn't make any sense. And another friend went a year before me and, um, uh, and I thought, well, you know, good luck. And I was doing a play and I was thinking about how, what we get paid. And these people come from the Guthrie theater in, in Minneapolis. And they come, a lot of them came from ACT in San Francisco. People came from New York and these guys are getting, you know, the big people were getting like 500 bucks a week. And so I thought, well, $500 a week, I was getting $45 a week because I was just a cheesy little, you know, apprentice and, and, uh, 500 so ten t- over ten times what I'm making, I could, I could live on that. And then I got to thinking about it. If I went up and got into a TV series, and you kind of have to put up with that, but you, if you do that, and if it just gets a little bit successful, you could go to regional theater and get five thousand bucks a week. <laughs> okay, so now it's starting to make a little more sense. And so then I kind of, you know. Got ready, a buddy of mine and I pulled our meager pennies together, and we moved up and got an apartment in uh, in Hollywood. And I 
I had done a small bit on a show called Harry O. Uh, and it was shot in San Diego. And the casting director was a guy from a very famous family. It was uh, uh, Eddie Foy. And the Eddie Foy and the seven little Foys. Eddie Foy was a big vaudeville actor. When he had his kids and his wife died, he's got to pay it, you know, take care of all these kids. And they were seven, all, you know, went down to the one little one that wandered all over the stage and didn't know what it was doing. And it became such a, by accident, such a slapsticky, goofy show that people went crazy for it. And it became Eddie Foy and the Seven Little Foys. And it was a huge hit, big, big hit. The grandson of that Eddie Foy became a very well-known casting director. And he cast me in that, uh, Harry O in San Diego. And he said, when you come up to LA, look me up. Well, I went up to LA and I thought, yeah, I don't want to bother the guy. Uh, so I was looking around, what do I do? And about two weeks later, I just gave him a call and said, yeah, well, I'm here. And you said call. So I thought I should. Well, where you been? Where you been? Can you be at so-and-so tomorrow? Huh? Yeah, sure. And so the next thing you know, he's casting me on all these little Sunday morning soap operas, things like Lamp Unto My Feet and whatever all the other shows were. And they were very kind of, uh, you know, uh, the cop is having a hard time at work and his family is falling apart. And then he finally realizes this is what will pull me through. And is a kind of a spiritual message at the end of it, but it's a little drama, soap opera kind of things. And so those were wonderful. So I, he kept casting me in those. And then he suggested I see this friend of his that he knew that was just breaking off and becoming an agent on his own, been with another agency. And so I went and saw him and he said, yeah, why not? So I was his first client, new client with his agency outside of a couple that he brought with him. And, uh, and then that's what started it. It's just from there, I was lucky. Just a normal, plain, dopey looking guy and they seemed to want to cast me. So that was good. How, how did, uh, do you remember getting cast on airplane? How did that, how did airplane start for you? Yeah, I do actually. Uh, I was doing a show called Angie at the time at Paramount, the same studio. And my agent, that agent that I had gotten, um, through Eddie, um, this is about, this is about four years later, I guess. He had a new agent named Beth Voiku that had just come into his office and she had worked with Howard Koch, who was the exec producer and had the former head of production at Paramount. He was the president of Paramount before, you know, when he quit that and then kept his production company in Paramount. And they told him, we want you to be with these guys and shepherd them through the studios because this is their first film to direct. So she called Howard up. And by the way, they'd been to New York and Dallas, Chicago, Seattle, Minneapolis, San Francisco. They've been everywhere all over LA looking for Ted uh, and Elaine and they couldn't find them. And really? yeah, so they, the studios didn't get it. Uh, they wanted them to go to Saturday night live and get the comedians and, you know, uh, you know, those, whoever, mm -hmm. somebody was funny. And they said, no, you don't get it. They want, they wanted serious people like Bob Stack and Elliot Ness you know, they wanted all that kind of a serious thing going on. So she said, I got your Ted Stryker. 
And he said, well, bring him over. So I went over there. We met. I met the three boys and Howard. And uh, we all liked each other. We all really got along. And then they wanted me to read, and they liked my reading. And then they wanted me to screen test. And they put me with Julie because she walked in, and she is so amazing. And they just thought, as soon as she opened her mouth started talking, they thought, oh, my God, we've got her. We found her. And then they said, this looks like this might be the guy. Let's put them together. And they put us together. We screen tested. And then that was it. And and the funny thing was they came over to the other side of the, the studio lot, Paramount, and uh, we were doing Angie. And they came backstage, and I was off waiting for the next scene. And we got in the back behind the psych, the big curtain that's up against the wall that they hang, you know, whatever scenery on. And uh, they said, well, that's it. You're the one. We want you. And I said, really? Yeah. And so it was like the four of us jumping around like goofballs, just, go, oh, cool, cool. Wow, howdy. And being very silly and, you know, and, uh, and then they said, okay, well, uh, they were calling for me. I said, I guess I better go. Okay. And they left. And Jim Abrams told me that as they're walking away, he said, you know, we ought to look at this show that he's doing. I mean, just got him now. So we got to take a look and see what he's like, you know, on the show. And they watched an episode of Angie, which is a sitcom, totally different thing. And they said, Oh crap. What have we done? (laughs) (laughs) But then they didn't realize that that's all you got a live audience and you got the television audience. You're playing to two different things, screwy lighting. That's, you, you know, you're, you, you would normally have one shadow, right? And you've got like five shadows all over. I mean, it's just a real bastardized way of doing stuff. But the whole thing's about the yucks. Keep it moving and all the yucks. And the live audience with the laugh track flown uh, uh, in there on top. And so um, we started working and every day Beth would come over because it was her little baby. She was so proud of having got me on, you know, the thing. And Every day they'd run up to her and they'd say, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's great. I think they were so relieved that I was able to do what they wanted. And it wasn't the Angie yuck yucks kind of a thing instead. So, Not just a sitcom? Yeah. yeah. I remember you telling me when you were filming of talking to uh, uh, of your, you know, John, John Travolta and some of that stuff. Tell, tell us that story. Well, Donna Pescal, who is still one of my dear, dear close friends, she and her husband Arnold and their son Jack, and and uh, uh, Donna was in Saturday Night Fever with, uh, oh, sorry, there was an earthquake. Did you see that? No, I um, there, uh, she was in Saturday Night Fever as one of the gang. She was the girl that they all jumped in the back seat, and they were all, you know. Yeah, and uh, anyway, she took me across the lot because her buddy, Johnny, she wanted to introduce us and uh, he was filming urban cowboy. So we met and he was great. And, and uh, so we're, we're, uh, we're talking and then he heard about the movie airplane because it was in variety, the trade uh, newspaper, the Hollywood reporter and the variety are the two things. And army archer and the biggest columnist in the industry had his column right inside inside front page and every day he was doing some oh that goofy film airplane there's another scene and he was describing these scenes all these jokes all the things that were going on and uh that was one of the highly rated uh, and read 
articles apparently in the in the trades during the time that we were making it. So she took me over to him and said, Bob, here's John and John, Bob, we were laughing and enjoying each other. And then he got to talking about airplane because he's a pilot. And I had by that time gotten my license. And, and uh, so they called him because it was time to get back to work. Lunch was over time to get back to work. He said, okay, John, we're back. And he said, okay, he started to leave. And I said, Oh, another scene. And he said, what, what? And so I'd tell him this other scene and we'd laugh and laugh and laugh. And they said, okay, John, he said, oh, okay. And I said, oh, oh there was another scene. And he went, and I would tell him, they'd laugh and laugh. And this went on about five times. And they kept getting a little more, John, come on, John. <laughs> and finally it was, God damn it, John, get out of here. Where are you? Oh, and I said, there's one more thing. And he said, what? And I was going to tell him about the dance sequence. Oh, and the I Saturday thought, Night Fever dance sequence. Uh, and I said, I'll tell you later. And he said, okay. And then he went in. I just thought, no, maybe I better hold off on that one. So, <laughs> let him see that one in theater yeah 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 and then he can say wait a minute what the hell were you doing with my dance moves there we had uh two guys uh joe and lester um at least i got their first names i'm trying to remember it's like donna joe donahue or something like that he was a staff choreographer at disney for all their musicals and then lester uh was uh, one of the uh, guys on Saturday Night Fever that created the whole thing. And he was the guy apparently that gave John a lot of the moves and the, the sense, the feel. Um, so uh, we had lessons with him for a couple of weeks and choreographed the dance moves, which, by the way, when we got on the set to do it, and I throw my jack, I throw my hat and walk over there and it comes back and hits the bartender in the head. And he's looking at the guy next to him like, what the hell? Then I walk out to her. That's the way we do the dance. But the camera was over here. And they said, what are we going to do? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This isn't, we, it's backwards. We can't, what are we going to do? And I said, well, how about if I come up to her, I, I look at her in the face. She looks, excuse me, looks at me. We stalk each other like animals. We get around, we're in the right position. Then I take off the jacket, throw it, strike the pose, jacket hits me, and then we start dancing. And they said, let's try it. And we did it, and it was perfect. So that was my idea. Saved us. Because <laughs> we were running out of time at that time. So it was like, oh, oh that was good. So then as we're, as we're doing the dance, then Jim said, uh, I'm doing the Gazatsky, the Russian dance, you know, with the legs going out. And then both legs go out. Someone actually asked me, they said, how did you do that? And I said, it really worked out. I said, you did? They couldn't see the wires that are holding me. <laughs> no, I mean, that's impossible to kick your legs out. So he said, can you juggle? And I said, yeah. And he threw in some oranges or balls or whatever it was. And I started juggling on the spot. I was going to ask you that. Did you actually know how to juggle before that? Or did you do that for the, for the movie? <laughs> when you just cut to a few years before, when I was at home, uh, I guess about seven years earlier, uh, we were building my folks' house, Adobe, making it out of the dirt, making the hinges on a forge. It was great. And when we glazed the windows in, I was sitting there one day with the glazing compound, and I made little balls about like a ping pong ball. And they were so sticky, I rolled them in the dirt. And then I had three balls. So I thought, how do you juggle? And I threw, I had two in one hand and one in the other, and I threw it up. And I caught it, and I said, well, now, how would you throw this one? 
So then I realize you have to throw it up as you're coming up to catch that one, which releases it, and it goes up, and do the same with this. So I just kept trying to do it until I could finally juggle, and that was how I did it. So basically you taught yourself, and then it came. Then, and then it came in. The yes. You happen to know how to juggle. Of course, I've been waiting for this role my whole life. I thought you'd never ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you so, juggle? That's what I would turn to the camera and go. <laughs> so you're so you're filming this movie you're with Leslie Nielsen, Lloyd Bridges, Peter Graves, Robert Stack, all, all these amazing people. What was was it all scripted? Was any of it improvised? Well, I mean, I can only imagine what it was like on set. Please tell us. That took about five years for them being rejected, going back and rewriting, rejected, rewriting, and tightening it up. And it was so tight; it was word for word. But there were just a couple of uh, exceptions. One was Johnny. Um, they had a group called Kentucky Fried Theater down on Pico Boulevard. And one of the people in the group was Steve Stucker that played Johnny, the raging, flamboyant gay uh, that played the piano. He'd play people as they came in, you know, he'd play the audience in and then play them out at the end of it. It was just very crazy. And they knew that's who he was going to play. And so they would call up and say, hey, Stephen, what would Johnny say here? Oh, I can make a hat, I make a brooch, make a, you know, it's like a big Tylenol, you know. So those were his lines. And, and then uh, uh, Al and uh, Al White and uh, Norm Gans were the two black guys, the black dudes is the way they're listed. And they came up and said, do you mind if we change this? A, a little bit and we've been working on a little you know some lines and they said please please we're three white jewish guys from milwaukee we don't know any black jive they had written in the script she mofo she mofo she mofo that's all it said and so they came up with what al told me was a uh, it was a dictionary of black jive basically their own yeah. language <laughs> yeah and they found it and then they started doing you know Slap some lemon, slap off griddle, and you know all the whatever they were saying, and uh, then they taught Barbara Billingsley, and uh, it was uh, it was great. They came up to me. Jim said, uh, "We're running short. We got to have this speech when I'm boring people to death, right?" And they said, "We've got uh, we've run a little short. We need a little longer. So tomorrow, so write something." And I thought, "Write something. I'm not a writer." Write something. And I thought, oh, geez, okay, calm down. Calm down. you got to bore people to death. You can be boring. Yeah, okay, 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 come on. And so that I just wrote a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, just went on and on. And it was with um, it was with Jesse, the guy with the turban that, you know, was going to light himself on fire to the Jeep with the broke the axle, curse, you know, all, all that stuff. It was just, it was just rambling on and on and on. And then the other one was uh, the other, uh, was it Ari Curie? Anyway, there were a couple of those. So other than that, it was word for word. I mean, wow. it was so tight and the jokes depended on it. You know, like people come up to me all the time and they say, Oh, well, surely you're not serious. And, 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 and they'll say, well, surely you mustn't be serious. And and I, I say, well, yeah, that's close. <laughs> but I mean, they say so many 
yeah, I'm certainly not, certainly not serious. And I say, yeah, you see him? Are you listen for a second? You, you hear where it's missing something there? But I play with them, and they're all having a lot of fun. So they have so much fun with that. But so, um, I mean, it's a two-part joke. They say, yeah, what was that Leslie Nine line? Surely can't be serious. And I say, well, no, actually, that's my line. Leslie was, I am serious. Don't call me Shirley. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so it's a two-parter. needs the setup. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Did, uh, did you have a sense during filming of how kind of the staying power, how big the film would, would eventually become or what kind of a, I hate to hesitate to say cult classic because it's, it's way bigger than that. Well, that's what I thought. Maybe, you know, this has a chance maybe to be a cult classic, like on a college campus or something. That'd be pretty cool. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty neat. And then Word was coming back from the, the screening room, the daily, when they'd show dailies to the studio execs. And a lot of times I heard of, you know, they'll say, uh, the secretary, uh, yeah, just tell them I can't be there. I got to gotta brush my teeth or, you know, something. They had to run the dailies sometimes four times over and over again, four times to get everybody in. Everyone wanted to get in to see them because it was so funny, so goofy. So when that started happening, everybody kind of started, you know, just getting quiet, not talking about it, changing the subject. And I remember we're all standing around talking about something like could have been uh, the boys talking about Green Bay or we were talking about the Rams or the Dodgers, maybe or something. And this one young guy was an extra and he come bouncing up right into the joints, right in the group says, Hey, what about this? Huh? I hear this thing could really be a huge blockbuster. We all just turned and walked away. <laughs> Put the kibosh on it. No hex on this. And the guy's standing like, hey, what, what do they say? What do they say? So yeah, it started feeling like it could be something, but the more it did that, the more you didn't think about it at all, the more you did not even want to. Right. And then I had a friend call up and say, uh, I just saw a trailer for the movie. I said, really? He said, yeah, it's in the theater. I just saw it. God, man, that's funny. Those are all the jokes, right? And I said, no. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it was so fun. It was so fun. I it's, went to an opening. Uh, well, it, it, was, it was like when it first started. It wasn't any big opening. It was just when it first started at the Bruin. It was a village of the Bruin in UCLA and uh, in Westwood there. And I went in with my, my girlfriend, uh, Terry. We walked in and we were sitting with uh, two of the, uh, well, an exec from Paramount and his friend. And as we sat down, we're sitting in the very back row up against the back of the theater and a family comes in. You could tell who it was. Just you can see the relationships. There's a man and his wife. And then another woman that was the sister to one of those, the aunt to the kids, and then the kids. So they come in, the sister, the aunt, looks at me, because, you know, Angie was out, and Angie was kind of having a bit of a good run. And she looks at me and then, then turns away and then sits down. And then the show starts, and there I am in the taxi, and I pull up with uh, Howard Jarvis, who is a big 
California, well known in California for Proposition 13, freezing the rents, the rent control thing. And he was a big deal. So that's a very local joke. But I pull up, he gets in and I, you know, set the, the thing and it says starring and, and I have first billing there, Robert Hayes. And she sees me and then sees the name and she turns around and looks at me, looks right at me and then turns back around again. Like she caught herself that she had done that. And so that was funny. And then when Julie's walking down the hallway and I think it was that when I say I want it to be the way it was, don't you remember? She says, memories are all that I have. I remember how, we used to run along the beach and how I used to sit in your face and wriggle. And when she said that, this was the, this was the husband. He was in front of me. And this was how long it was. Said, I used to sit in your face and wriggle. And it was, did he say what I think he said? <laughs> that long of a pause. And I just about fell out of my seat and they turned around and looked at me like, what are you, what are you, what's going on here? It was very, very funny. Very it, funny. I mean, it, it feels like some of the, because we just recently, we watched it again. I did with my kids. And it is, there are a lot of films that you think back on uh, as when you saw it in your youth or anything like that. And you're like, oh, we got to see it again. And then they're a total disappointment. And when you watch it again, like decades later with your kids, this wasn't, oh my God, Airplane just has you rolling on the floor. And it, everything, in fact, the only thing that it, it, it's almost like a guilty pleasure because there are so <laughs> many jokes there that you think they could never do this now. This is oh, hilarious. Well, they asked David Zucker, um, it was several years ago when we were doing a, we were doing a, one of those question and answer things and the press would be there and they would interview us in that little city, wherever we were. And he just used it again recently, but it's uh, it's his go-to line when they say, could you make airplane today? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, without the jokes. <laughs> and that's true. It's just so without, without, without autopilot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so overly politically correct. Everything is and everything offends everybody. And so um, it was so much fun to be in on the last big hurrah of being able to offend the entire world. It was great. <laughs> if you don't leave anyone out. It's accomplishment in life, Bob. I remember when we got to it, just really offend everyone. It was great. What? Wait a minute, what? Does that go in your headstone? Yeah, why not? <laughs> like Le Leslie's on his headstone, it's his letter rip. That's what's on his headstone. It's his, final, his final joke. Yeah. Yeah, he had that little fart machine, and it was, uh, he used it all the time. When they call me up to the cockpit, Lorna Patterson played Randy, the other stewardess, and she said, when Jesse's about to immolate himself with the match, and, and she says, uh, could you come up? There's a problem in the cockpit. The cockpit? What is it? What's well, a little room the pilot sits, but that's not important right now. And then I think, well, and I, and I look at Jesse as though, I know you really want to hear the rest of this story. And he's just there with the match getting ready to fire himself off. And I think, ah, okay. And I get up and he goes, Oh, blows it out, puts it in his lap and the explosion happens. 
but you never hear anything else about it. There's no hole in the plane. There's no, it's like no one else outside of his little tiny universe knew that it exploded and that he was gone. Ugh. So when I go to the cockpit and uh, uh, I say, both pilots, Mr. Stryker, can you land this plane? Surely you can't be serious. That was the first time that we say that. And it's a two shot of them. Of, of Leslie and Lorna and a single on me. And I say, surely you can't be serious. Uh, I flew single engine fighters in the war, but this plane has four engines. That's an entirely different kind of flying altogether. <laughs> and then altogether they say, it's an entirely different kind of flying. The whole time we're shooting their two shot and we get all of that done. Then we come around and we're shooting me and he's off camera. Mr. Stryker, can, can you fly this plane? The whole, my whole scene. He didn't do it over my lines because that would have had to be blue. We couldn't, you know, it had to be clean. But on his lines all the way through, he was just farting his way into heaven. And he bought a, brought a whole box and sold them to the, for his friend that made them, sold them to the, everybody, the cast. Everyone had those. Being the tinker that I am, I was determined to make my own. So I went home and got a motorcycle inner tube and cut it and made my own. But uh, it got to the point where Jerry, Jim and David were in the booth or in the trailer if we were on location or wherever. On the stage, they were in a little booth. They had the feed, the video feed, and the monitor taped off so they could see exactly what was going to be on the screen, the movie screen. And, you know, if you didn't take, have the tape on there, they would see all the stuff over here that the camera operator can see. So if something comes in, then he can kind of adjust it so it doesn't come in. Or if he needs to adjust it to get it all the way in so it does come in, he can see all around it. But you don't want to see that if you're just concerned with what's going to be on the movie screen. So they're in there, and David was out like, uh, Jerry was out like a regular director with us. And it got to the point where the camera crew, the sound crew, everybody had them. The AD would say, okay, roll sound. And you hear, rolling. And they'd say, camera. And you hear, rolling. And Jerry finally said, oh, I can't. Yeah. And if I hear one more of those, I am going to go insane. And you hear Leslie over there go, <laughs> yeah, and every, everyone had tears in their eyes, but they did get rid of them and they gave them back to everybody afterwards. But oh my God, it was, it was every interview you would see him on the Tonight Show or the Good Day LA or the, uh, you know, morning, morning shows in New York, you know, NBC, and, you know, all of those things. He's always, uh, he'll lean like this in the chair. He'll say, well, uh, I'll do anything for a laugh. And just look at it and be gone. Uh, I asked him one time, I said, I said, Leslie, how can you do that? And he said, with that big sonorous voice of his, and he says, I've gotten to this point in my life where I don't give a shit. <laughs> What's his answer? <laughs> he loved being the little naughty boy, you know. <laughs> Even did it to, they had a big, he was a golfer, he loved playing the golf tournaments. 
and they had uh, one of the celebrity tournaments in Little Rock, Arkansas. And the mayor of Little Rock hosted a big thing for all the celebs and everyone at the mansion, the mayor's mansion. And he got him and went over and said, uh, Mr. Nielsen, my mother is here. And I was wondering if you could come over and say hello. And he said, well, certainly. Goes over and says, Mom, this is Leslie Nielsen. He said, well, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> he had no shame. He just did, he didn't care. Whether it was an elevator full of little old ladies, they were all whispering, that's Leslie Nielsen. Oh, that's Leslie Nielsen. And it's going up to the 40th floor where the restaurant is. And he starts to do that. And they start listening. I'm like, oh, my God. Did you hear what he just did? And then he keeps it up. And they start smelling something that's not there, of course. And then he really lets loose it with a big barrage. And they all reach over and start pushing the next floor to get off. <laughs> I mean, just awful. He was just awful. And That's and people could not help it but just laugh. Yeah. What about, so. uh, I mean, God, there's so, so many uh, amazing and, and hilarious folks. So, your memories of Lloyd Bridges on there or some Lloyd, other? Yes. Wonderful. And Bob Stack, I had done a show with him uh, before. Most Wanted, I think. We, mm -hmm. We'd come up with that name. And I had guested on his show and he was just one of the neatest guys I ever met. He was really fun, really neat. Um, we were rehearsing in one of the little dance rehearsal studios on the set over to, you know, separate from the soundstage with Julie and me in the cockpit. They had a little tape and some chairs. And then they had tape on the floor where the, uh, uh, the tower was. And so Lloyd and Bob were up there. So when we were doing the stuff, talking to each other, you know, we wouldn't necessarily be on the set, so let's rehearse it so you know the tempo and everything. I was there. I loved going there. I just was there for everything. And and Lloyd, this was early on, and Lloyd was really, I could see him just kind of going, Jesus, he was just, something was bugging him. And he said, what are we, what are we doing? I mean, what are we doing? He was trying to figure it out. You know, what is it that you want? What is it that you're looking for? What do you want? And Bob Stack, who really had it together, he was the first person they had in mind. They wanted it for that role. And he was so, they were happy when he, he wanted to do it. But he just said, oh, with that Bob Stack voice, he said, oh, come on, Lloyd, they just want us to be us. <laughs> And Lloyd kind of went, oh, Jesus. and then he started thinking about that and then it clicked. And then he started having so much fun too. So it was just, and, and, and Peter Graves read the script and threw it across the room. He said, that is the biggest piece of trash I've ever read in my life. And his daughter said, dad, there's supposed to really be a funny show. They've got a lot of people are talking about it. You know, and his agent said, come on, Peter, read it again. Would you please? There's a lot of hype going on about this show. He said, well, all right. So he read it again. And they said, well, I suppose, I guess I could. And then he started getting into it. And then he told me, and here's a guy who's very conservative, very, you know, the all-American dad, Fury, and Mission Impossible, all those things. Here he's walking in the vegetable section in the supermarket. And he sees this little kid there and he says, well, hello, Sonny. And the mother looked up at him and grabbed the boy. 
And he said, imagine all of that. And now here I'm known as a pedophile. That's, uh, God. It <laughs> oh, was so much fun. I could not wait to get to work every day. I just couldn't wait to. It was so much fun. Yeah. Wow. And, and when, when did you know you were going to be doing a sequel for it? And what was that like? They came out with that pretty quickly, the idea of wanting to do that. And the boys didn't want to do it. They'd done it. And they didn't want to just rehash the same stuff. And they were off doing uh, uh, the Naked Gun movies and their series, which was a very funny series ahead of its time. Um, oh, boy. You know, I went blank on that. But um, uh, so they were doing they were doing all of those things. And Jerry was off uh, getting ready to do Ghost, which is very, you know, drama comedy thing you know with patrick swayze and whoopee and all of them and uh uh so they were they were moving on i think they still had a piece of it because they created it you know so they had mm -hmm. a creator um so i sure hope so anyway <laughs> uh, but uh so they got um uh Oh, boy, I wasn't even thinking about this. He's a wonderful guy. He's Canadian. He was a comedian, uh, comedy writer. And they wanted the, the writer-director theme to keep going. So they wanted someone that could write the script and to direct it. And so that's how they, uh, how they came up with it. I'll have it in a, in a second. I'll get his name. Just kind of went out of there. Well, but, it almost uh, became this amazing who's who of the next, almost like the next group with William Shatner and Raymond Burr and all, like, almost like who didn't want to get in on it at that point. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, my son, who is, he's 30, just about to be 32 now. He, um, he was, gosh, he was, he was a little guy. But when he saw both movies, the scene that stuck out to him, his favorite scene of any of the films, was Shatner and, um, and uh, oh boy, oh, Richard, Richard Goulan, I think. Uh, he came up to the door and he, he it turns the button and the little screen comes on and it's Shatner. And so he says, uh, you know, the, the shuttle is, you know, in trouble, whatever. And there's a, a Passengers fly, and he's what? And then he goes, Psh, and the door opens, and he's standing right behind it. And then he goes out, and Psh, and the door closes again. So as they're walking to the next door, they go, Psh, and the door opens, and they walk through it, and they don't say anything, and they look at the door, and they go, Psh, and the door closes, and, they go, uh, and then they keep walking, and he says, uh, and the the there's a passenger flying the shuttle. Uh, his name's Stryker, and he says, Stryker, Ted Stryker, and he says, Yeah, uh, do you know who he is? He says, Never heard of him. <laughs> That's not exactly true. Once we were like brothers, and that line just got Jake, my, my son, never heard of him. That's not exactly true. Once we were like brothers, it was like, Oh, and I, I you never know, you never know what people are gonna like. I was in San Francisco. I stopped at the airport uh, rental to get my car rental up to San Francisco airport one time. And the girl was looking at me and kind of sideways. And then she finally said, are you Robert Hayes? That was an airplane. 
And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, my God, I love that movie. My favorite scene is when all the luggage is waiting and the people come down the conveyor belt. And I thought, oh, well, that's great. I'll get the car. And she leaves, and I'm thinking, that's a strange Huh. And I turn around, I'm leaning on the counter and there's the conveyor belt right there. She sees it every day. So everybody has their own favorite thing, you know, so. Absolutely. So moving on to some flying stuff, you, uh, yeah, I remember you, you told, you also told me a story of going to lunch with, uh, uh, with John. Oh, Johnny called me up one time. He says, Hey, you want to grab some lunch? I said, yeah. And, he said, okay, I'll meet you at uh, Van Nuys, the airport. And I thought, yeah, I love the airport uh, cafes. I just think they are, I mean, it's kind of like you get bacon and eggs or you get an egg salad sandwich or whatever, and they're always just the best. It's like your grandmother just made them, you know, they're just the best. And, and so I said, okay, cool. And I got there and he said, meet me over at such and such. And so I got over there and I went in and he said, oh, great. Okay, yeah, come on, let's go out. And we went out and we we're walking outside. And I said, Where are we going? He said, Over to the plane. We got on a citation. And I said, Well, we're going to the cafe. He said, Yeah, it's it's my favorite cafe. It's up in San Jose. <laughs> okay. So we we, you know, got in the seats and and flew up. He had his pilot with him. You know, it's a two-pilot. That one, that particular one was a two-pilot. And uh, so he had his pilot on staff and so he would just sort of you know be there as his co-pilot but john would fly the plane and then i took over as co-pilot and uh you know having of course my single engine land i was perfectly suited to fly a citation <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's got that's absolutely awesome they you yeah. now you got you, you told me you got your license back in like around 79 when you were uh filming angie and when you got your it, were you, they didn't know that you were getting your license or testing for oh, your no. license or something? Oh, no, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to give them a chance to say, oh, you can't do that. But I could do it as long as they didn't say you can't do that. And if I wasn't going to tell them, you know, about that. So, and, and something happened during your exam or at least it almost didn't make it back? <laughs> no, I just it ran a little long. I, I, uh, I studied at Sky Roamers at Burbank, at the Burbank Airport. And uh, Bill Vogel was my my uh, instructor, and and uh, uh, he he got a friend's Mooney, uh, borrowed his Mooney, and flew us over to uh, over the hills to Santa Monica, and very famous old aviatrix Claire Walters that started that Powder Puff Derby, I think, uh, Palm Springs, whatever, and um, set some world records flying, all kinds of neat stuff. Really, just us tough thing i think she was bow-legged because she'd broken her legs parachuting or something i don't know something like that but it was so wonderful a wonderful wonderful woman and she was my my uh gave me my oral exam and my check ride and when i went in there for the uh the oral uh there's a guy sitting there he's got his little suit and stuff and and I thought, oh, it was a friend of hers and i thought well how do you do how do you do oh, it's nice to meet you and i was waiting for him to leave so we get started and he said, yeah, well, go ahead. And so she starts in and I'm thinking, oh, okay. Well, so she's asking me these things and she's asking all sorts of stuff and I'm answering everything. And then he started asking questions and I thought, oh, 
yeah, well, it's in that I answer those. And then he was asking me things and I thought, hmm. So I started (laughs) empirically around this whole thing to getting to the center of what I thought the nugget was. And I figured that during the course of all that, maybe I covered what it was that he was asking. And sure enough, I did. And and he'd say, yeah, 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 okay. You know, yeah, keep going. And so, and then she said, I'm so sorry when he left. I'm so sorry. He's the FAA instructor. He just comes unannounced. He pops in on us and I never know when he's going to come. And he hasn't been here for a long time. And I just have forgotten it. Here he is all of a sudden. So I'm sorry I had to be so rough on you. And I thought, oh, well, did I pass? He said, yeah. I said, well, that's fine. That's good. <laughs> we did our check ride and then uh, uh, had to get a ride back over to get my car in Burbank and then drive back over the hill. So by the time we finished, I think it went a little longer, too, because he just made it even, you know, stretched it out a little bit more. And so that's why it was I was running a little behind time. I got a call. Um, there were early cell phones back then. I got a call on my cell phone, and uh, and it was the you know, hey Bob, where are you? Uh, you know, call time is like you know in five minutes or something. And I said, yeah, yeah, I run and run a little behind. I'll be there. Well, what's happened? And I said, nothing. It's just my engine fell out of my car. But that's all. I'll, I'll be there. Okay. Well, just get here as soon as you can. So they knew I was just going to you know be a wiseacre and not answer him directly. So uh, I got there, got, then we finished. That was taping day. If I crashed, they'd have, they'd be saying, where's Bob? We've got a show to tape here. We're being, huh. So it was, it was, it was fun. It was really neat. That's fantastic. And I know, so you, you have stayed uh, somewhat involved in aviation. I know that uh, you kind of came up through a whole bunch of singles, uh, single engine aircraft uh, along the way and, uh, and even got a little rotorcraft time. Yeah. About 30 some odd hours towards my helicopter rating. And uh, it, it actually came in handy. The, the, I just remembered I was doing a film in Malaysia with Peter Weller. It was a buddy picture. Mercenaries out in the jungle were running from the, the uh, corrupt government troops. And we get to an airport. They had this guy's uh, 310, a Cessna 310. And they said, okay, we're going to, we've got to get this shot. And then we've got to, you know, uh, you guys will run and you'll jump in and then we'll just cut to it. Just take it off. And I think, well, do you want me to start it up and taxi out of the shot? Can you do that? And I said, yeah. So, <laughs> and I just looked at the manual real quick and I said, oh yeah, well, sure. And then I just got everything all, you know, just got everything running and I taxied us out of the scene and then got the owner to get in it. And then he took off and somebody else sitting in there said photo doubles, you know, dressed like us. And then they took off and that was the shot. And then, then we opened it up and had the, the screen in the back for the, uh, the sky, you know, and, and the psych in the back. And, uh, and then uh, they filmed the scene in there and then turn it around and film it the other way and turn it back, you know, and that was, uh, it came in handy. If you know, Oh, this is, this is simple. This is this and this is, I can just do this and do it safely. Sure. So it actually came in handy. My license did. That's awesome. Well, I love the fact that it all comes full circle and that not only are you Ted Stryker, the pilot to, to so many around the world, but uh, a, a real pilot as well. And, uh, and, and that's just awesome. 
<laughs> well, the the uh, the helicopter. My dad, of course, was a fighter pilot, and and uh, one of his buddies left and went over to helicopters, and he ran into him. And he said, "Frank, what the hell is this? We're the cream of the crop. We're the fighter pilots here. I mean, what do you, are, are, do you like that?" And he looks around and says, John, can I, can I be honest with you? And he says, oh, well, yeah, I want you to be honest with me. He says, it's the most fun I've ever had with my pants on. He said, really? So he goes out and he gets this young lieutenant and your dad's a bird colonel. And so, you know, says, lieutenant, yes, sir. He says, uh, I want to see what this is all about. So, uh, he says, yes, sir. So he takes him out to a two acre square field. And this is dad telling me this story <laughs> and he takes him out to this two acre square field and he lifts it up off the ground into a hover. And he says, okay, sir, you got your rudder pedals. They went over that and the psych. And I mean, he says, I've got all this. I just want you to pay attention to the, to the uh, psych, the, you know, and, and you don't worry about the, the rudder pedals. Don't worry about the collective, the, the, the uh, you know, uh, throttle, nothing. Just you hold on to that, and I want to see if you can just keep it right here in these two acres. And Dad looked at him like, wise acre, kid, huh? And the kid was sitting there like, sure. And so Dad's sitting there, and he's just holding it. And then it starts to move a little bit, and he yanks it over this way. It goes way over, and he yanks it back. It's way over, and it's flying everywhere. And the guy grabs it and brings it right back down. He says, okay, sir, let's try it again. And dad's like, I'm going to get you, kid. I'm going to get you for this. <laughs> and it was so. Now, on the other hand, I was lucky that I had a guy who was a very famous uh, aerial photographer for films and stuff. He would use his Jet Ranger. His name was Bob Lockwood. And we were doing a film in uh, uh, Iowa. And while they were filming some of the movie here, I went out with him in the uh, uh, helicopter and they drove out my 450 SL that I was supposed to be driving in the movie. And they had a photo double. No, they had me, had me in it, but they drove me uh, out in the plane, flew me on the plane. And he let me take over the cyclic. I said, well, I got my pilot's license, but I've never done any plane. So what do you do? And he gave me some little tips. And they were so great. Put your arm on your knee and hold it just like between two fingers, that light. If you want to turn that way, you turn your head. You turn your head that way. And that's how little it took. Now, of course, if you need a little more, you put a little more into it. But that's how little it took. And, it, you know, forward, backward, it's just the movements of that. And if you've got your arm resting here, then it's not going to be out like this. It's going to be right there where you can do the tiniest little movements if i told dad that <laughs> he would have you know had i known that way back then he would have had a totally different experience but i got it right down there everything and the guy said you're doing a great job with this this is really good so then when i went and had my my uh uh my gift i told you from my friend who used to give each other gifts and try to outdo each other and he said okay I've got my add-on now for helicopters, so I want you to give. I want you to start flying these things. I said, Ah, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll get around to it. I'm giving you the gift of uh, helicopter lessons until you can solo. And um, and I said, Okay, all right. So I had this army 
uh, helicopter instructor. And he gotten out of the army and now he was doing it privately. And we flew out and you have to see whether or not you can solo. Um, you have to be able to put it in a hover, two feet off the ground, take off, fly up in the pattern, set it 60 degrees, come down, hover at two feet, and then set it down. And, and then, you know, go around the cones they've got there and then go around to this one and go around it and all those kinds of things. So I did that at 2.4 hours. And he said, I have never, even in all of my time in the Army, in civilian life, I had never had anybody do it that fast. And I said, okay, but don't tell him yet because it's until I solo. I want him to keep paying. <laughs> so we got back and my buddy was there. Joel was there. And, and uh, he said, yes. Oh, how's he doing? He says, yeah, he's doing good. He's doing good. Yeah. And I just kind of was thinking about it. And I said, go ahead, tell him. <laughs> tell him that? I said, yeah. And he said, I never had anyone do it this fast, but he just, Took it up to a hover, flew the pattern, came back and landed. 2.4 hours. Never had anyone do it that fast. And I saw Joel's face just go, because <laughs> it was quicker than him. And I said, okay, that was worth it. I'll pay now. I'll pay until I sell it. That's awesome. We were terribly mean to each other. Uh, before, before we go, though, you told me a story about this helicopter pilot, though, and 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 another famous person that you did an impression of. Well, he, he loved Dudley Moore. <laughs> he used to do Dudley Moore and I met Dudley and, and uh, I met Dudley and he, I don't know if you or any of the audience would know, but they, they did in um, uh, beyond the fringe, which was the group that Dudley, Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, Alan Bennett and Jonathan Miller were in. And they did a thing called the great train robbery. And when I met Dudley at this big event, some big party, and I said, I saw him and we met, and we met like for a minute at Paramount Studios. Our, our, our uh, producer that produced both things that we had done introduced us and it was so fast. <clears throat> so it was sort of a, well, hello, kind of trying to remember all of that and everything. And then suddenly I said, the great train robbery of over three million pounds continues to baffle the British police. And he instantly said, good evening. But we have with us in the studio this evening, Sir Arthur Gaffey, first deputy head of New Scotland North. Good evening. And I'm going to ask you, if you, and we went on and on and on with this whole routine. <clears throat> and it got to the point where I was thinking, oh, shit, what's the next line? And D Dudley turned to all the people standing around and said, my God, he knows it better than I do. And I thought, oh, <laughs> That was my relationship with Dudley. <clears throat> we'd see each other and we'd say hello and have fun. And you in person, you so, used, to, used to do an impression of him, right? For as he had a car, God, I don't know if I could do it. By the way, I, whoa, oh, damn, fuck, I don't know. You know, it was all that kind of thing, you know. And, and, uh, and my instructor loved Dudley. And I would start doing Dudley over the earphones and he would just start cracking up. So we were out doing a training and then we come back, we're going along the, uh, uh, there was this big, uh, the LA river canal and we'd call in when we're coming down the canal 
uh, you know, for uh, left hand into Van Nuys, where we were going, the helicopter pad area. And so I've got the collective, and there was no governor on this, so it was a collective and the throttle over here. Had the cyclic here, had my feet on the on the pedals, and uh, he's on the radio. He's doing all the radio work. And I said, ah, oh, God, I don't know if I could die. Oh, God, oh, geez. And he starts laughing so hard that he couldn't. Oh, we're at the reservoir. And, he was, and I said, click. And I said, reservoir coming down in for us, you know. And I called it in. And he's just over there just shaking, laughing. We land. We go in. Uh, we're doing the debriefing. And I said, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow. He said, okay. And I got up. I walked out and I got in the car, it was parked right outside the little office there, and I pulled out and on this expansive acres of uh, concrete, uh, and the planes are parked further away, so it's several acres open, just like a desert of concrete. Here is, at that time, the largest motorhome I've ever seen in my life. Massive. And out of this big door comes a little guy with a tiny little dog, and it's Dudley. And I stopped and I said, hey, Dudley, I said, what are you doing here? And he looked at how ridiculous it was because there's no grass. There's one crack with a little blade of grass about that big. And he looks around and he says, I thought I'd take the dog out for a shit. It just was so, and we both laughed. And then we talked a little while and I said, well, it's great to see you. You take care. See you later. And I pulled down a little ways, called my instructor up and I said, I want you to set the phone down. Don't hang up. I want you to set the phone down, walk out the office, take a right, turn right at the corner, look, then come back and tell me what you see. He said, what? Do you? I said, just put it down. Do that. So he puts it down. He goes out. I can hear running back in. And he said, that's Dudley Moore. And I said, you're welcome. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> Oh, oh man. man. Oh man. He ran oh, me through the, through the ringer though. That guy did. <laughs> Maybe because of that. I don't know. It got him. Well, Bob, thank you so much for taking so much of your time uh, today, oh, this dude. evening out of this beautiful environment that you're living in out there to join us here on social play live. Well, this is so much fun. I mean, I mean, we can go on forever because <laughs> People talked to me about that movie and how much they love that film and just talking about what people talk about, you know, and plus our little stories behind. It's just so much fun because like I said, I smiled every day, just the thought of it when I was driving to work because it was so much fun to be there. And uh, it's always fun to relive it. And it's fun talking with you because you're such a great guy. So, <laughs> but you told me you were going to give me the link so I could watch Treat Williams. I want to see <laughs> I think we can hook you up with that. <laughs> I bet it's good. I've always heard he's such a good pilot. He's a good pilot. Well, I hope we'll get you back here on the show to talk about a few more stories. And I can I can tell everyone out there, oh, my God, there are so many stories. There's way more than we could get in, even if we ran over time as we did. Uh, you know, please come back. Uh, uh, you are just one of my favorite human beings on the planet, and I really do appreciate it. Yes. My new best friend, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, and I would love to come back. Absolutely. Thank you. And you have a wonderful evening. You too. All right. Good night, Bob. Bye-bye. 
And to all of you, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join us here on Social Flight Live. One last thing to show you, we have a few days left where we're doing our promotion of our Social Flight T51 Mustang Globe. You can see a picture of it here. This is available for $99.99 delivered to your door and it supports Social Flight. It's our fundraiser, help support Social Flight with this gorgeous 3D globe and laser that is uh, there, can be put on your desk, lights up and everything. Uh, really uh, fun thing. All you need to do is send an email to info at socialflight.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at socialflight.com. I'll send you a link. We have some of them left. You will be able to get one of these globes. Until next time, we are back on Tuesday, January 3rd at 8 p.m. Eastern time with Blue Angels Commander Greg Woldridge. This is a gentleman you just, you absolutely need to hear from. He is an amazing human being who led the team through some very challenging times and uh, is just, uh, has leadership skills that are uh, comparable. There's just no one at that level. It's really amazing. And so again, that's Tuesday, January 3rd. On Tuesday the 10th, we are off on vacation that week, so won't be here for the show. You have a week off, but we will be back on January 17th, that Tuesday, with our good friend Corky Fornoff back because he has a slew of stories with great things, including some lessons having to do with flying. So be sure again to join us here again on Social Flight Live. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us, and I wish all of you blue skies. 